Thanks for stopping by here in August, checking out the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for today's episode comes from the Bent Paddle Brewing Company in Duluth, Minnesota. Hello and cheers, WTIP Boundary Waters podcast listeners. This is Brian and Karen Tonis, co-founders of Bent Paddle Brewing Company in Duluth, Minnesota. The Boundary Waters is such a beautiful and sacred place for us, so we are proud to sponsor an episode of this podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We wanted to take this opportunity to connect you with our brand, our beers, and passion for the great outdoors. Ben Paddle opened in May of 2013 in Duluth's Lincoln Park Craft District. One of the reasons we chose Duluth was access to countless miles of trails and boundless outdoor recreation, not to mention the amazing water of Lake Superior. Lake Superior's 10% of the world's fresh water, and 100% of our beer is made with that water. Bent Paddle got its name due to the shared passion for canoeing and brewing, as I used a bent shaft canoe paddle to mash in at a smaller brewery prior to opening up Bent Paddle. It was the perfect fit for our branding and Northwoods adventure backdrop. It is our mission to brew high-quality craft beer with a concentration on sustainability for our business, employees, the environment, and community. We offer six year-round flagship beers as well as specialty offerings and a sour line called Wilderness Tuxedo. Most recently, we introduced our newest beer, a beer quite different than anything else we've ever done to date, Classic Cream Ale. It's an easygoing beer for any beer drinker, straightforward and light with a creamy, smooth finish. You can find Bent Paddle in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and North Dakota in bars, liquor stores, and restaurants. We also have an on-site taproom with a newly expanded outdoor space offering our full lineup plus specialty pilot system beers. We have all the COVID safe protocols and distancing in place to ensure our team and the public's safety and enjoyment. We offer crawlers and growlers to go as well as stainless steel or hydroflash growlers which are boundary waters friendly to pack in and pack out. Brian and I have made 14 annual trips into the Boundary Waters. We have traveled over 60 lakes, and we were also engaged on Burnt Lake just out of Entry Point 38. We have an 8-year-old son, Liam, who has done three overnight trips with us. We look forward to carrying on this family tradition. We are grateful for the continued support. To find out more about Ben Paddle, visit all the social media platforms, YouTube, and our website, BenPaddleBrewing.com. Cheers, paddlers! WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience we were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters. And it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 32 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. 
We're coming to you in the normal fashion these days, over the phone, not in person, but still making the podcast happen. <laughs> so it's one of two things that are happening uh, these days, Matthew. We're either out in a canoe, uh, you're in the bow of the stern, and uh, we've got the, <laughs> the recording thing in the middle of the canoe, uh, somewhere near the portage yoke usually, uh, or... We're on the phone, so that's what's happening right now. But the show rolls on. It does, and I, you know, it's so, you know, I know there's a lot going on, but 32 episodes, exciting. Obviously, every time I say the next one ticks away at the beginning of the episode, it it gives me a little burst of excitement to know that the stories keep rolling in and that the uh, tales keep turning on as a whole new paddling season is in full swing right now. Indeed. A lot of people, in fact, uh, you, sir, have been out. Another reason that we haven't, I uh, feel like I haven't seen you in a while, and, and, and in fact, that's the reality. I haven't seen you in a while. You've been out uh, in the in the wilderness, and it sounds like you've done a, an awesome canoe trip that I have yet to hear a single detail about, and, I, <laughs> right. and I'm, I'm really, really itching to, to hear about it, and I think uh, some of our listeners are going to be hearing about it in a, in a future episode, too. Yeah, I don't want to correct you except to say that I think I've been on two trips since I've seen you last. Oh, not yes, to rub, I Not see. to rub it yeah, in. Wait a, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. It's awesome. Um, yes, so. and we will get to catch up on all of that, uh, and, and it will be good, but we've got a pretty epic uh, tale to tell today. We do. This is a story, Matthew. This is similar to... You know, one of our most popular episodes and, and most beloved episodes and, and heartwarming, heartbreaking. It had it all, kind of a lot of emotion involved. Episode 14 of uh, uh, Jake and Rachel, a couple that were uh, fell out, capsized in their canoe with their dog. And it's, uh, again, episode 14, uh, one of the most listened to episodes also. Uh, we've got another tale. It's, it's different than that, but it's on that level of grabs your attention right away and you you go all the way through with it. Uh, two gentlemen from St. Paul, David Bell and Jason Bush, uh, listeners of the podcast, as it turns out, but they uh, they were caught in a memorable, epic, crazy storm this summer, you know, 2020, in, in the Boundary Waters, and they wanted to tell us about what happened to them, their personal experience through this storm. And you, you got the opportunity to talk with them, Matthew. It's an amazing story and conversation. I agree, and I was gripping to to be listening to it, and I'm excited to hear it again um, today. But I think it's worth noting that, you know, whenever we go into our, you know, we get our permits and we go on our trips, whether it's annually or, or more or less, um, we, we expect to come out with tales of, um, hopefully, we all hope for beautiful skies, we hope for beautiful weather, if we're fishing, we hope for you know, tales of giant fish, and occasionally people come out with tales of terror, really, <laughs> and that's yeah. what we're looking at today. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I think I'm excited to jump into that, um, but there is some somber news that um, we do need to share with our paddling community before we dive into that. We do, Matthew. Uh, uh, sad news to share that uh, our friend... Our personal friend, a friend of the podcast, friend of the paddling community, Quetico, the Boundary Waters, Gunflint Trail, you name it. Uh, Quetico, her, the longest-serving ranger in the history of the park, Janice Matichuk, Uh she did pass away. Matthew, she passed away in uh, 
It's been uh, some tough news for for a lot of people. It's happened here uh, very recently, and uh, we, in fact, uh, to show you how recently, Matthew, we heard from Janice on on the bonus track of July of this summer. She was uh, featured on the episode just last month. So uh, a a tough time, and and we're still processing the news and and, um, going through a lot of emotions with it, but uh, we did want to acknowledge it, like you said. I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us, Matthew. Yeah, you know, I, it is with a heavy heart that we acknowledge um, Janice's passing because just she was beloved by so many, and it is a loss to to all of us in one way or shape or form. I think she touched so many lives, and um, I look forward to the ways that this podcast can continue to honor her, honor her life, and honor her contributions. Um, and I know that we will continue to do that, and we will continue to help Janice's memory live on um, in all the ways that she has manifested so much beauty for what she called the bush. Mm-hmm. Up in Canada, indeed. And uh, so, so uh, if people want to go back and you can find that, it's on it's on the podcast uh, thread of uh, the bonus track, July 2020. Uh, we hear kind of a, a last, it ended up being our, my last conversation with Janice Matichuk and uh, ours on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, she passed away on the, the night of August 4th uh, into the morning of the 5th here. So, so uh, as I said, recently. And, um, yeah, that that's the news, and and you know, I mean, just uh, in our experiences with Janice, she's uh, we we went up to the Cash Bay Ranger Station, Matthew. That's episode nine of the podcast for people who want to learn a little more about her too. But she she had brain cancer, but she never, you know, she would have wanted us to talk about her on the podcast. At least I I believe this that uh, in a in a celebratory, uh, not not get all down and weepy necessarily. You know, she would want us to be talking about the. The story, David and Jason's story. That's what she'd say. Yeah. She'd say, quit blathering on. I think she'd be downright on. bothered that we're still talking about her right now, to be completely yeah. honest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she'd say, quit, quit quit, your blubbering and get to the story. Uh, so so maybe we should just uh, follow follow what uh, she would have wanted here and uh, get into this mm-hmm. ama- amazing story that you've heard uh, from uh, David Bell, Jason Bush, uh, two guys from St. Paul that were out in the Boundary Waters this summer. Matthew, without further ado, let's just jump right into it. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, David Bell and Jason Bush. We are excited to have you guys on today and looking forward to hearing your story. Welcome. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having us, Matthew. We're very excited. Indeed, as am I. Uh, Why don't it be great if you, for all of our listeners who haven't gotten the pleasure to meet you yet, uh, would each of you take a few minutes to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Sure, I I can go first real quick. Um, Again, thanks for having us on here, Matthew. We enjoy the podcast immensely. Um, I'm David Bell. I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I've been to the Bounty Waters, uh, been going there since I've been in my mid-20s. We've sort of accelerated our trips the last few years. Jason and I have tried to get up there three or four times a year. Uh, We we winter camp. Um, We usually try to do a paddle. uh, trip and uh, you know try to really hit a few different seasons. So I would consider myself a moderately experienced BWCA uh, traveler. We've been to a number of different lakes and trips, some longer, some shorter, uh, but we really obviously love that area like everybody here as well. Um, and that's me. 
my name is Jason Bush. I'm also uh, from St. Paul, uh, but my mom grew up in Babbitt, Minnesota, uh, just about 30 miles outside of Ely. And I spent a lot of time uh, as a kid in the summer up at my grandparents' place in Babbitt and have cousins that are a close age to me. And um, they had a cabin on Burnside Lake. And we would, you know, spend a lot of time kicking around in the woods up there riding bikes. Um, I've been canoe camping. I was introduced to river canoe camping at YMCA Camp St. Croix in uh, Hudson, Wisconsin, and love canoeing the Upper St. Croix, love canoeing the Namakagan, uh, the Flambeau, the Kettle, um, kind of had the whitewater buzz going when I was younger, um, but also really enjoy Boundary Waters trips and kind of that peacefulness. Um, and I do want to say too, Matthew, I think I said this before we started, but I want to thank you and Joe for this podcast because it's really inspired Dave and I, as he said, we've accelerated our trips in recent years. Partially uh, that credit goes to you guys and that's why we wanted to share this story too. Um, we really enjoyed hearing some of the stories other people have shared um, and thought ours from on Trout Lake would be uh, interesting and informative as well. So um, thanks for that. And in, in that vein quick, I just want to say um, last year we did, I did four very different Boundary Waters trips. Um, Dave and I and another friend of ours, Scott, went in in the winter to Tuscarora Lake, uh, hauling sleds in a hot tent, um, did some lake trout fishing. And then in the spring, we did a, a, a fishing trip in late May, early June on Brule Lake, you know, walleye fishing, brook trout. Um, and then in July, I took my family of four and our dog. We did a week over the 4th of July into, you know, um, Horse Lake, the Mudrow side, um, and then we did an August trip, which is motorized into Trout Lake. And that's the first time I'd been into Trout Lake via the motorized portage north of Lake Vermilion. And that's a, you know, very different experience and very different thing. I haven't heard many people on the podcast talk about, there are, are a lot of lakes that allow up to 25 horse motors. So folks, um, can take advantage of that. And it is glamping. You can bring heavier gear. Um, you know, you can bring a cooler with ice, um, you know, which is really a luxury when you're in the woods. So that's what we were doing um, um, was going into Trout Lake on a motorized lake. So I, I, and I know, Jason, we could probably have a whole nother super fascinating episode on motorized travel, uh, which is very much so, you know, in a certain vein of the history of you know, this period of time in this land before the wilderness, but after motors, uh, that would be really interesting to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but for today, we're setting up to hear a story from you both that very much so, I believe, as you said, David, um, you guys had a pretty harrowing experience in the wilderness. Um, and most I was just chatting with some folks last night about this idea that, you know, most trips that we go in on have no real uh, unusual stories to tell because we get what we go in for, you know, scenic lakes and beautiful sunsets and that peace and tranquility. And, um, and that's sort of what works. Most of us are expecting when we go in and it sounds like you guys got a lot more, than you expected. Um, so I, I want to just hand hand it over to you two to start from the beginning. Uh, set this up for us. Um, you, you, now I want to just say we're going to go from the point of the start of the trip to this point where you really felt like you cheated death. And, yeah. and the way that that happened and the lessons that you learned from that are going to be an important component of this conversation today. But I'm wondering where the story starts. 
Sure, I, I can just uh, set the stage if I can. Um, so as Jason mentioned, last year was our, um, we both bought some some boats and, and we love to canoe, we're canoe paddlers. I know some folks might, um, you know, say that having a motorized vehicle in the Bounty Waters is a little different. It's a great little experience. And so we really enjoyed last year. It's a, uh, just north of Vermilion, um, we brought our boys. We've been introducing our families more and more to the BWCA. Uh, we're able to cover a little bit more water and really make it an all-out fishing trip. So we decided again to do it uh, to be almost a yearly trip. So we had some experience on Trout Lake last year. Uh, we went to my cabin to kind of launch. We all uh, congregated there and had a good gear fest and decided what we we're going to bring. And we all got ourselves excited about fishing and lures and you know, just sometimes part of getting to the Bounty Waters is just the journey of packing bags and 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 just seeing what everybody's bringing and uh, just that sheer excitement of watching my 16-year-old and Jason's boys and they've all grown up together uh, since they've been babies. Really, it's really an awesome bonding experience. So emotions were high, um, as they always are going in the BWCA. I think everybody was super excited. We knew the weather was a bit of an issue in the sense that it was super hot. Seems like July is the is the apex of, of heat and humidity that we're gonna get up there and of course uh, storms that could happen. Uh, we were prepared to leave at 5.30 in the morning from my cabin, which is about a three hour drive to Moccasin Point, which is the entry point one um, you know, ride to the motorized portage. Well, it was raining cats and dogs in the morning, so we pivoted and said, um, let's go in the afternoon, let's be smart about it, let's let this rain get through the system. Um, you know, the motorized portage had very defined hours we can get in. It's a, a morning situation and an evening situation, so you've got to, you know, you got to hit the motorized portage right, otherwise you can't get through uh, with a boat and motor, unless you want to take your motor off and carry all that, and that's not any fun. Uh, so that all worked out, rain cleared, we left around 10.30 versus 5.30 in the morning, um, got to Moccasin Point, super excited, weather completely calm. It was almost idyllic. Uh, again, we kind of knew there was going to be some rain later in the day. We weren't quite sure what level or intensity, but we were sort of cautiously optimistic that we'll get to the campsite. We'll put up a tarp. We'll get prepared. I mean, Jason and I are, are, I would say, you know, moderate to experienced campers. We've seen our share of weather, um, and we just want to make sure everybody would have been safe with rain gear, et cetera. So we launch uneventful, uh, four boats. So we had the maximum amount of people and um, uh, watercraft, and so dads and kids and dads and sons. Um, okay. And uh, where there we went, we launched. Yeah, so you've got the two of you as the dads. Yep, and two more dads. Two more dads. So we've got four dads, and and uh, everybody's got some kids, some some yep. boys with them. Five sons, nine. Five four. boys, and yep. and I just just want to jump into. Um, so Dave and I met actually when our two oldest boys were in the same kindergarten class together. So um, and now those boys are twenty years old, um, and so part of the trip. Last year, it was really fun. Uh, we didn't go with exactly the same group of people, but we, it's kind of a the end of summer. You know, we went in August last year, and we had boys going off to college and boys going back to high school. And, you know, this year, similar thing. We had uh, 
you know, my sons are going to uh, MSU Bozeman in the fall. And, you know, one of the kids is going to play hockey at St. Cloud State. One of the kids goes to St. Scholastica in Duluth. So it's, it's, it's fun to get that time where you're, you know, unplugged from computers, unplugged from technology, sitting in a boat, you know, fishing with your kid um, for a few days. You know, and our, our trip was, is going to be Wednesday through Sunday. Um, so Tuesday night, we go up to Dave's cabin, we do the pre-pack party. Wednesday, we go in, and um, if you've never done the motorized portages, it's really cool. Um, it's, yeah, explain that real quick. Yeah, so um, this motorized portage, my understanding, has been there a really long time. So Trout Lake is entry point number one. It's just north of Lake Vermilion. So you launch at, uh, there's a public boat launch called Moccasin Point, um, and a lot of people store their vehicles there that have cabins um, on Lake Vermilion that are on islands. And, and you get to see some of those on your way. It's only like three miles, I think, across the water. Last year, we did it with two motorized boats and one canoe. We put a couple of 18-year-olds in a canoe. Um, this year, we had um, everybody in uh, motorboats with 25-horse motors, pretty much. Um, and you, you pull up to the motorized portage. The hours are 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., or 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. So there's defined times when you have to be there. And as you pull around, if, if you get there um, during those hours, there'll be a person typically waiting there with a four-wheeler, an ATV with a boat trailer on it. They back into the water. You drive your boat up on it. They hook it up. They pull you out of the water. Uh, you give them 35 bucks cash. Um, we tip a little bit too. I recommend that. Lonnie's a super nice guy. And he'll give you good fishing intel, I think, if you tip him too. So... Um, the, uh, the, you don't even have to get out of your boat. And then, uh, they drive you about three quarters of a mile across the portage. They back you into the water and set you off. They ask you what day you're returning. You know, they take a little information from you, get your name, they give you a card. Um, and trout Lake is very large and crystal clear. It's deep. It's got lake trout. It's got smallmouth. It's got pike in it. Um, and our kids had great fishing last year too. We caught a bunch of smallmouth. Uh, Dave's son, Jake, the youngest boy, we call him the fish whisperer. He's got a picture holding this gigantic pike. Uh, you know, it's about as long as he is uh, that he caught last year. So that's what we're looking forward to um, as we're going across this motorized portage. And that's what you're expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And you've swimming got... and sunshine and a rocky, uh, stony vista facing south, watching the sky. You know, we, I, my favorite memory from uh, 2019 there was sitting on the rock with our boys watching the moon rise. You know, how often do you get to do that, you know, with your teenage son? It was just awesome. So, so this has been, you have sort of a history of this type of bonding that gets to occur from unplugging um, and going out with uh, this crew and you know two generations and i love the two generation trip it's probably one of the most powerful i you know i always think of coming of age experiences that um these types of trips allow for and i can tell just from the way that both of you are talking about this that it's meaningful for the two of you and it's meaningful for your kids and and i imagine you know when you're going you're headed out you're full of anticipation you're thinking you that you know how this is going to go right you know, you have an expectation. Right. So how did it actually unfold over the course of? Do you want to go, Dave? I mean, I'll, I'll, as Dave I'll, mentioned, it was gorgeous. It was just beautiful. We couldn't have had better conditions getting to a campsite. It was beautiful. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Um, so as Jason mentioned, I mean, Trout Lake's a good, 
you know, 5,500 acre lake. It's beautiful lake. I, I really admire that lake. I, I, there's so many campsites on it. It's, it's, it seems to be, you know, we were, I think when Lonnie dropped us off, there was five, six boats on the lake and we were four of them. Um, so you just, you get that excited anticipation. I have an eight horse. So I was the, I was the, uh, I was in the rear of everybody with that, the 25 horse. So I was lagging, but they always let me go first, but it's a beautiful ride across uh, about four and a half, five miles to get to a, a campsite. We had one last year, Matthew, that we really enjoyed, but this year we thought, let's try something different. There's so many campsites. We had an initial one. Um, at Stony um, Stony Island, we wanted, but that one happened to be occupied. Uh, believe it or not, with that that few of people there, that one we wanted was occupied. So we went to the north side of the lake, you know, thinking like, okay, there's going to be some rain. Let's get to the north side of the lake with an east-facing um, campsite. So we, you know, the wind, if it did, or the storm would come, we would think it would predominantly come from the west or from the, you know, south. Uh, west to go to the northeast, which is kind of the predominant weather pattern in a severe storm. So at least we thought we'd have some some minimum shelter versus being exposed on an island directly facing south. Uh, you know, we're just trying to minimize if the weather did get bad. So we picked the, the a really beautiful campsite at the top end of Trout Lake. There's a little canal that goes into North Trout Lake. Um, Lonnie actually sent us some some spots where we can even catch some big bluegills. We were like, yeah, we're, we're in. We were so excited to catch some different fish. So we get up there, took us a couple hours, um, set up camp right away, you know, to make sure we get our tents up, tarps up. Uh, time of day right now, Matthew, is probably around, I, I would say we landed around 5, 5.15, Jason, on the, um, uh, to the campsite, set up tents. Um, weather was starting to... You see some clouds, nothing ominous, like no imminent rain coming. We're, we, uh, we, we, you know, it, it was definitely humid, but it surely didn't seem like anything was going to happen at any point soon. We get our tarps up. We start making a little dinner. We, uh, we pre-pack something we call digeritos. Um, everybody has to have their thing, right? A lot of people do steak, whatever. So our great friend that goes with us, his name is DJ. And he makes these bison-filled digeritos that are phenomenal. So we're all pre-packed. We're cooking them up. We're going to get ready for the night bite, right? Sun's coming through the trees. Uh, looks gorgeous. Um, I go on the rock and peek down, and we can kind of see some clouds forming on the south side of the lake. Um, you can see, I mean, it looked like there was some rain coming, but it looked like it was so far south, Matthew, that I'm like, all right, Let's get dinner done. Let's kind of take inventory, um, you know, where that's at and go from there. So we all had a great dinner. We're feeding nine people. It takes a little bit of time. Um, camp set up. We all pick our tent sites. You know, we had five tents and we all, there's about five spots there. So that made sense. Everybody kind of had their own spot. Jason put his solo tent. He likes to be by himself. Um, in See a the snore? What's that, Matthew? No, Is Dave's the, the snorer. Dave's the snorer. Oh, I'm, the, Dave's I'm the, the light sleeper. <laughs> I'm a, I'm I always, a, I always a, go off to the side, or I can't sleep. I'm a hammock camper, Matthew. So I, mm. uh, I'm a, I'm a, I have the whole setup, my whole hammock setup. I, I, I go to the Bounty Waters in a full hammock situation. So, nice. Kind of cool. We all got our stuff together, and, and Jason's underneath, kind of by the, um, 
fire grade. Couldn't have a fire, obviously. There was a fire ban. Right. And, um, you know, he put, our, he put his tent underneath a couple big trees. And so we're eating. And all of a sudden, you know, we kind of see this rain coming from the south. Like, okay, nothing, nothing bad in our minds. Um, and I'm going to accelerate the story because it literally happened this fast. I've never seen anything in my 53 years like this, a storm develop this quickly. What time of night is it at this about, point, David? This is about seven now. We got done eating, Jason, I'd say about quarter to seven, seven-ish. Yeah, started to get a little rain. We like I was literally getting my stuff ready with my son to go out for the night bite. It looked awesome. It was clear across the lake and as far as on the other side of the island. Um, we were getting ready to go, and then it started to sprinkle a little bit. So we had time. Everybody's got rain gear on. The kids were sitting under a tarp. They're playing cards on a bin, you know, sitting in camp chairs under the tarp, starting to sprinkle a little bit, you know. And, you know, then it started raining a little harder, and most of the kids, um, not all of them, went to their tents. You know, the, the rain started blowing in. The cards got wet. And I remember they put the cards away, and they're like, okay, well, we're going to go in the tent and just wait this out because – scattered thunderstorms it's going to pass through right that's what happens it's july it's minnesota it'll be fine um you know wait it out we'll come back out and we'll we'll go fishing on the point you know in the dark we'll catch some walleye and slip bobbers and it'll be great um go ahead dave and then from here i mean it escalated matthew to the point where not only did it start to rain it started to pour and that's when the kids as jason mentioned um a few of them and escaped to two of the tents and then it was me, another dad, and a son were holding a couple of the tarps. We had them tied down pretty good, but the wind was starting to come off the south side. And we were like, wow, this is, this is getting kind of serious now. I mean, the rain, it was, it was fairly torrential. Like, okay, to Jason's point, we're like passing thunderstorm. You know, it's going to be intense for a while. Yeah, we've, we've been through storms before. We've been wet before. We've been prepared before. Um. And, you know, we're facing east still. I'm, I'm looking due east, and, the, and I'm thinking, okay, everything's coming from the south. Um, we should be fine. But the intensity built to the point, one of the tarps, about I'd say around 710, 715, the wind just started to get really aggressive. Uh, blew one of our tarps uh, just basically off the, um, um, the hitch line, which I was shocked. Like it ripped through the yeah it the just, tarp itself it, yeah well, and then I was holding on to um, me and a dad and another someone like okay he came into our tarp like well, we got to hang on to this one because we just got to save some tarps so it was you know, gone it the tarp was just whip, and then literally within right around seven fifteen um, the wind came directly out of the east at about. Uh, 60 miles an hour, I would guess. It felt like someone turned on a fire hose at us. I was holding on to the tarp. I got lifted off the ground. Uh, the tree that the tarp was connected to snaps, completely goes the other way. And simultaneously, about 10 to 12 three-foot diameter trees completely snap, fall to the ground. The sound of snapping trunks is like nothing I've ever experienced versus a branch. Um, mild pandemonium breaks out because the sheer intensity of this wind coming right off the lake from the opposite direction. In my mind, I'm like, how is that possible? Is this some sort of a 
microbursts that we're experiencing. I mean, the wind should have, uh, you know, logically to me, how could the wind be that forceful in the opposite direction so quickly? So all white water was just, it was blinding. And plus I got blown back. I didn't know where the other two people were that were holding the tent. Um, I heard one of the dads said, we get the kids out of the tent now. So I instinctively started running back towards the tent and I came across Jason who was huddled behind a tree um, as he was also trying to get the kids out and I'll pass it off to Jason with his experience, but we're like in the middle. Yeah, of, so I was I, under the, the, the same tarp that Dave and the other dad, Jason, uh, were holding on to. So we had two Jasons um, and two Daves. We have DB and DJ um, and they're holding the tarp and I get blasted in the face with the wall of water and I hear just the roaring wind and I hear branches and I just start running back to where the boys are because I want to get them out of the tents. Uh, but it's also kind of panic. I don't really know what to do. Like what's the best thing to do? Is it, I'm thinking to myself, do I run further, you know, get them out of the tent? Do we run further back into the woods? Um, or is that where more trees are going to go down? Or do we run back to the point where there aren't as many trees? Um, and I, as I'm running back to the tent, there's, I can see branches falling around me on my left and on my right. And the wind is blowing me so hard. I felt like I was going to get sucked up. So I'm thinking tornado and I didn't know what to do other than squat behind a tree, um, on the leeward side out of the wind to get as low as I could. And I was looking up to see if other branches are coming down. And I was about five feet away from the tents where the boys were. And then I heard the other dad, Jason yelling, get to the point. There's no trees out here. Get out of the tents. And so I yelled at the boys, you know, get out of your tent, you know, come on, we got to get out of here. And tent doors fly open and rain flies are flying off and kids come running out. Some of them in boxer shorts, you know, they had taken off their wet clothes when they got in the tent. So they come running out of the tent, no shoes on, um, fully exposed. all of us, totally. yeah, just drenched. And then, you know, I can see the, the one tent, uh, that our friend DJ, um, is in, with his son, the, the fly, the rain fly flies off and water's just pouring into their tent. Their sleeping bags are soaked. Every, their clothes are soaked. Um, and so then you're, you're I, literally getting ripped apart. Yeah, completely. By this blast, this potentially could lift a grown man off the ground. It did. Yes. It did. I um, mean, so, so you're trying to balance, uh, these, these decisions. Do, do we take shelter from the wind and then put ourselves in danger from the the trees falling. Do we put ourselves in to the wind to keep ourselves safe from the trees, which has its own other risks? Um, and then you have this water that I imagine is borderline blinding in combination yeah. with the wind. It was it was so a blast sense, in the face. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine your senses themselves are overloaded at this point. Right. And well. I should add, so um, I was camping in the Boundary Waters with my wife when she was pregnant with my son. Uh, she was seven months pregnant. We went with another couple. We thought we should go um, one time before uh, we have kids because it'll be a few years before we can go again. That was July of 1999, um, and we were on an island. And so, so I, you know, after this trip, I told Dave, I said, well, this is the second scariest experience I've had in the Boundary Waters because the scariest one was the blowdown of 99. Um, we were in our tents and um, we stayed in our tents. And I don't think now in hindsight, that wasn't the right thing to do. But it's your instinct when the wind is blowing, the rain is pouring, you want to stay dry, you want to stay comfortable. Um, so you go to your tent. And 
1999, we had huge trees on either side of our tent come down and we could hear them, but we couldn't see them. Um, and we survived that. And so every time I pitch a tent, I'm always looking up, I'm looking at the trees and I'm thinking, okay, you know, that tree's green, that tree's dead. I'm not going by that dead tree, that green tree. Oh, that's been here for 60 or 80 years. That, that'll be fine. Um, and, and, you know, we, we sent you some pictures. Uh, you can see one in the center of our campsite. There's a living green tree that snapped off halfway up when this wind hit and it blew just to the, um, if you're facing the lake to the left side of where most of us had been standing when the wind hit the, the four of us that were still outside the tents. Um, and you know, it's just amazing the power of that. And the, to me, the thing that boggles my mind is we just happen to be, well, we happen to be in the wrong place at the, the wrong time. We also happen to be in the right place at the right time. Because as we got everybody out of the tents, we all ran to the point um, where there were no trees, you know, facing east. The wind is still blowing. The rain is still pouring. Um, but we did a head count and we had everybody and nobody had a scratch on them. And it was just such an overwhelming sense of relief because there was just, you know, a few minutes earlier kind of panic. What is the right thing to do? I don't know what the right thing to do is. So, um, you know, it, it, we just got really, really, we got lucky and unlucky is, is I don't know how else to describe it. How and, long did this last real quick? Yeah. Um, you know, the cliche, it, it seemed like forever. It seemed like no time. Um, time stood still. I hate to do these cliches, but it was, um, to your point, it was sensory overload. I was not expecting that level and intensity of rain, which caused mild blindness. I mean, once I got picked up off the tarp, um, and one of the kids has a memory, we've done a lot of debriefing and we'll get into that. Um, apparently I said, this is insane. And I got lifted off <laughs> the ground and he says that is burned in his memory because exactly how I felt because I, it's the, the, the short, you know, we literally, I'm not a weather person, but I'm, you know, I enjoy, you know, looking at it. It just from, I thought we we're going to be on the North side of a storm, which typically it's the South side. That's more intense. Um, you know, it was not above us. There was not an imminent wall of, of um, that you would typically see in a thunderstorm. Like literally this developed over us so fast, but it ended almost as fast as the wind did. The rain kept going all night. We'll get more into that because we had round two. Um, and, um, but we were, you know, and our campsite was destroyed. Gear was destroyed. Um, you know, the, the two tents that the kids were in were the only two that they sustained some damage, but the other ones were crushed. And so if anybody would have been in there, uh, trees would have toppled. Jason had his. I thought Jason was in his because I, I, you know, initially – um, he was under three trees and the entire three tree root ball system toppled over. So his tent and his, all of his gear was thrown upwards and crushed and he wasn't in there. If he would have been in there, we, the story would have been different. Um, so we had to take inventory. We got everybody out. Everybody was safe. We took the risk of going on the rock, right? It's a lightning risk now because now we're saying no to the trees, no death by trees, but it could be by lightning. And lightning was simultaneous. It was right over our head, but um, uh, trees were down on the way to get to our boats. I mean, everything, that whole campsite is has been basically redone by Mother Nature. We had trees over our, the food grate. We had, and we kind of looked at each other like, you know, Jason and I were like, okay, we'll get through this. We're going to be, we'll salvage this. And we looked at our gear and like, I don't think we can 
we can stay here, we probably need to, you know, you don't think of bringing two or three tents to the Bounty Waters, you bring one. So, um, you know, we just didn't want to, we just realized we had to, you know, get through the night. We're on Trout Lake, so we really, you know, we're not going to travel in a storm, plus the portage, we can't get out in a sense. There's only a defined time. We don't have canoes. So we really had to wait and come up with a plan to get out in the next morning. And that's where things started to get even more interesting uh, because you don't think about hypothermia in the summer, but those, those raindrops were 60 degrees and, you know, coming up from high in the clouds and the kids were not super prepared for coming out of the tents, as Jason mentioned, uh, people were shivering and we had to make some decisions. And so uh, we, we basically said we, we can do this for 12 hours, right? The right. portage opens at 7 a.m. the next day. We said we kind of just quick surveyed our camp. Everybody was okay. Some of our stuff was wrecked. Um, my son had gone down to check on the boats and all of a sudden he starts yelling and we go down and all of our boats are completely swamped with water. The waves had come in the back of the boats, had sunk them. Dave's boat had about three or four inches of sand in the bottom of it. And there's gear floating everywhere, life jackets floating. Like we, we just kind of threw some stuff up on shore um, and kind of did inventory and said, all right, well, we'll have to bail the boats out. Um, you know, we can do this for 12 hours. We'll be fine. You know, we, we still have food. We still have, you know, enough stuff. Uh, we'll be okay. We can make it till 7 a.m. the next day. And one of the dads uh, right away just said, I'm going to stay up all night long because there were trees that had blown down, but there were trees that were hanging, you know, your classic widow maker, right? They're kind of there. Um, and then we're talking about how, okay, all that rain softened up the ground and we could see the tree where my tent was. The topsoil is thin. The rock is large. So, you know, the root balls, the roots aren't very deep on a lot of those trees. So we've got in the back of our mind, we had a debate. Um, should we put the tents out on the point where there's no more trees? Um, or should we leave them where they are? And my philosophy was, well, they've been through that. The chances of a wind like that coming again in the same night are pretty slim. And those trees are intact. I think they're safe where they are. So, um, you know, my my son, you know, he's used to staying up late anyway. He's like, yep, I'll stay up all night. Um, so a few folks, which was nice. I mean, I could, I got a little bit of rest, but every time the wind blew, um, you know, <laughs> I was back awake uh, thinking, oh man, what's going to fall on me? Um, and a few folks went to the tents and tried to sleep. But then at 4 a.m., um, you know, the wind starts picking up, thunder and lightning, and uh, one of the dads blows a whistle, and we decided that's the signal, get out of the tents, you know, if you hear the whistle. So at 4 a.m., there's all nine of us again, you know, huddled around, um, hanging out, making sure everybody's okay because the wind was blowing and trees were crashing down again, you know, trees that maybe had been hanging or stuck a little bit when the wind blew. Um, they crashed down, you know, all around in the dark and that's even scarier. So we've talked about this too. Luckily this hit when it was light, we could see what was happening. Um, it wasn't 3 a.m. when we're sleeping in the tents. I mean, that would have been worse, you know, but I think the, the one tent that got the most damage, people definitely would have been hurt um, in that, in that tent that was off to the side. So you're, you go through round one, right? Which makes you very vulnerable. Uh, and I think we all, most of us, especially when we're experienced at going into these sorts of settings, you know, we know what to bring. We got backup gear for what we know we're going to need backup gear for it's at least for me i feel pretty confident in my preparedness and i imagine you guys do too 
and then you encounter this um, freak weather incident that um, destroys half of your um, your preparedness. Now you're vulnerable, you've made a plan, but it doesn't, I mean, I, I would imagine that you never pictured an outcome like this no. when you're getting ready for your trip. And that, I think, just having something happen that you've never planned for, it rattles you. Absolutely. and Pretty deeply. And um, not being able to get out when you right. would like to rattles you. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's part of the whole Boundary Waters thing, though, too. Part of, I mean, I've been going up there for a long time. Now you have some cell coverage. Um, people have sat phones. People have GPS. When I started going, it was paper maps, and you're on your own. Um, people didn't know necessarily where I was going. I would just go, you know, with some buddies with a couple hours notice, and we would just do that. Um, uh, one of the things that I do now that I've learned, um, and I do this because we started winter camping, which has some different types of dangers, um, is we do a preparedness email. So I always send out an email to whoever's in our party and their spouses or family members um, and let them know, okay, this is where we're going in. This is what vehicle will be parked in the parking lot. This is what boat I'm in. You know, this is what color tent I have, you know, and I'll usually, there's great maps now. So I can say, we're thinking about trying to get this campsite. Um, you know, we'll be back out on Sunday, but if it's windy, we'll have an extra, you know, dehydrated, dehydrated meal in the bottom of our pack. You know, if we get windbound or whatever, don't worry about us. But, you know, if you don't hear from us, you know, Sunday and the weather's perfect, well, maybe, you know, here's who you call on Monday. It makes my uh, family members feel more comfortable knowing where I'm going and knowing when I'm coming back. And uh, so, yeah, that's something we did on this trip as well. You know, so here's where we're going. We expect to be back out on Sunday, but, you know, if... But it's night one. It's night one, yeah. And that was, well, we did have a good plan B. We said, okay, we'll get out in the morning. We'll retreat to Dave's cabin. We're not going home. We'll go dry our gear. We'll go, you know, on the pontoon boat. We'll go tubing. We'll go swimming. We'll go fishing and hang out with the guys, you know, and have a cabin weekend instead of the, the full Boundary Waters experience. So it was a compromise. It's not, not, a, not a total loss, but definitely disappointing that we had to leave on Thursday morning instead of Sunday. I want to go back to this round two weather moment. Is that where you're going, Dave? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, when this, you know, when round one happened and we sort of assessed, A, we were super happy no one was hurt. It was almost, it, to me, it was a miracle. It was definitely an invisible hand came through and wiped out our campsite, and that same hand didn't hurt anybody. I mean, there was some major damage to that area. Of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, Trout Lake got crushed. We're going to, when we get out here tomorrow, we're going to see trees down everywhere, and, like, you know, we can only imagine the the level of destruction, um, but it was very surgical. But to, to your point, um, you know, Jason was a, a, you know, we got some good dads that are, you know, good voice of reasons. People were level-headed after some initial shock. And we were like, look, 12 hours might seem short, but it's a, that's a long time. And we've got 16-year-old to 20-year-old kids. They've been in the bush before, so that's good. No one really panicked, but we had to have a kind of a plan of, you know, because it was clearly – you know, it just looked like it was going to storm all night. We kind of had this feeling like, wow, this is not a passing situation. Um, you know, have one of the dads having a safety whistle to me seemed, okay, we've never brought one before, but we have a bigger group. And that came in super handy because we don't always know where everybody is. 
Uh, you know, when you go into the group of four, five, six, okay, we can kind of keep tabs on people. Well, nine doesn't seem like that much, but I understand why that's the max because, you know, where does everybody go into? And that whistle came in handy in round two. Um, so we had dads stay up. Um, we had people hypothermic, so we knew there was a fire ban, um, but we had to build a fire. Um, we had to, we had, we had one tarp left. Uh, the other two were destroyed completely, uh, ripped to shreds. Um, so we made a makeshift little, little shelter over the fire to get the, you know, to have over the night, keep people warm. And we had four inches of rain, so we weren't too worried about burning the forest down. So we were smart about it. Um, we had plenty of wood from the down trees. And so uh, we kept that going all night to keep people warm because we definitely had some, I had some concern there of people's um, safety from that perspective of exposure. Again, you wouldn't think of that in July, but um, it's, it's freezing. And so, you know, and we had storms all around us. And then round two, like Jason mentioned, um, we had night watches. We had people stay up. One of my sons stayed up. I stayed up till kind of took some shifts. We tried to get back in the, in the two salvageable tents we had. Uh, my, my hammock was fully destroyed from the, um, actually my hammock wasn't destroyed, but the trees it was on destroyed it. And it was just, it was, uh, um, not usable. So I couldn't, and of course I'm not going to rehang my hammock on trees that are compromised. So we basically had a couple tents that we could salvage. And then we had other people rotating in and out over the night. Um, you didn't get any sleep. So even though you're in the tent and I could start around two 30 in the morning here, kind of round two coming. Of course, we don't have any radar or any access, but you just kind of like, oh, here it comes again. And we literally had this strong wind come out of the south. Um, and I'll just never forget it. I mean, then all of a sudden, we're, the whistle blew, which was great. We all got to the point, and the trees were cracking down again and smashing down again, and uh, the tops of them were swaying so intensely, and it rained very hard again. So we were exposed again. We could not... The tarp was only so much helpful, but that pretty much cemented like, okay, we're going to pack up. We're going to be out of here at seven in the morning. And in my 20 plus years, Matthew, of going to the boundary waters and I've seen my share of rain, four inches of rain get you wet. <laughs> I mean, I've got some really good rain gear and we've got some really good dry packs, but we, uh, we were soaked to the bone, literally. It's not made for that. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's a learning experience. I mean, and we're thankful that everybody's safe. I mean, people have lost their lives and people lost their lives up there that weekend too. Um, I know that storm kind of ravaged a number of different areas and, and there was definitely uh, levels of intensity, you know, from Ely. I've heard other people that friends of ours that were in the boundary waters uh, on the sawbill side, uh, you know, ex everybody experienced different levels of, of intensity. Um, we had some folks, uh, some media coverage on our experience and the weather service kind of commented on our situation and, you know, a severe thunderstorm popped up right over Trout Lake exactly at 715 within a very short period of time, uh, estimated four inches of rain in about uh, an hour and a half, which was a super intense um, and 65 mile an hour winds they expected and literally the pink dot that they showed was right over our campsite. I mean, we had the strongest part of the storm. And to me, Matthew, I guess I, I, I've said this before, it's just 20 minutes before, 
the sun was shining through the trees. So I, I've never seen a storm build that fast. And that's probably the biggest learning lesson for me. We can talk about those. Yeah, let's um, do that. You know, safety whistle. Who knew? Um, totally going in with one now. Um, just to know where everybody's at or to alert people that we got to get out of our tents. I think Jason mentioned earlier, I think the general consensus, at least for me, was, okay, let's stay in a tent. It's going to rain. I mean, how many times have we all been to the Bounty Waters? We wake up to a cool little rain on the tent. It's kind of fun. Like, okay. You know, in a, in a, but with a strong storm, that's the last place I think you want to be. And that's where I think the deaths occur as people die in tents with trees falling on them. Um, obviously, you've got the risk of lightning strikes if you're not in the tent or you're exposed on rocks or elsewhere. Um, and we had that. It was instantaneous thunder and lightning. So, but we had to take, in our minds, that risk was worth taking versus tent, um, you know, staying in the tents because we saw the destruction of the trees. Uh, it's something I'll never forget, Matthew, is just watching these, you know, 60, 80 year old sentinel trees just, just snapped like, uh, like there were toothpicks. You know, there was a beautiful, pine right in the front of the rock just like you can see in the bounty waters beautiful solo pine snapped right in half in front of us it was you know, that's some pretty strong force and you can't win against that so uh, i've never gone in with a satellite phone um i'm not sure uh how i feel about that moving forward but i do think uh, that's going to be a serious consideration for me going forward especially if we have a bigger group um you know you could never substitute experience i think as well for what we did i think jason did a phenomenal job getting the fire going calm people down um you know we had a plan together how we're going to get the boats out in the morning i don't know how all those four boats started the next day but they did i mean literally the miracles continued and we got out of there and um because wave two we, not only did we bail the boats out after wave one Actually, the second storm, while not as intense, created a huge wave action. So that sand I had in my boat, I had, I'm still taking sand out of my boat. Um, we had a, just an immense amount of destruction on our boats. Um, and, uh, you know, Mother Nature really is in control. And I think that's my simple lesson up there. We love it. We're, we're ready to go back tomorrow. It surely hasn't deterred any of us from the sheer beauty and power of the BWCA, but what we live through and my kids live through, and my 16 year old is, you know, I think a better paddler, uh, trip goer. I think he's, uh, you know, you know, caution is something um, that's gonna be super important going forward. And, and I don't well, wanna- I do, back, I do have to say the, the younger guys handled, the, handled it better than the dads. Um, their attitude was awesome. They were all um, just sort of gung-ho and they're like, well, wow, that was cool. We got lucky. Um, okay, uh, you know, my son stayed up all night tending the fire, um, helped build boats in the morning. Um, just really, really proud of him. And um, yeah, it was, but, but their attitude, it was kind of funny. You know, we were, I think Dave and I had big, you know, big eyes looking at each other on the verge of a little panic, but so relieved. And our kids handled it, I think, better than we did. Um, so well, I got to spend some money on new gear. I guess that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, you got to go buy new stuff. That's always fun. So 
so there's I have lots of thoughts about this, guys, and uh, I'm trying to be um, intentional about the few the few things I want to ask about. Um, I think the one that comes to my mind is that, and this may not be a factor for you, but um, in the in the climbing and mountaineering community, there's been a lot of conversation in the last um, couple of years about stress injury uh, and psychological first aid. And I'm wondering if, um, you know, especially you, Jason, being through the blowdown and then having another experience that's similar. Um, and I know from my experience when I've had really intense when I've had a really intense situation in the wilderness and then I'm out and something happens that um, feels similar, even if it's not like mm -hmm. I can go into a response mode that is um, pretty high alert. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are around this idea of uh, what that can do to you psychologically. And if you feel like you have a sense of the impact of that or lack thereof, potentially for you guys? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, definitely, as I mentioned, the rest of that night, it was impossible to sleep. You know, every little breeze um, was kind of, you know, I'm thinking, oh man, here we go. You know, here comes the next round, the next tree is going to fall. I don't like being in this tent. I don't like being in this tent. So um, I spent a couple hours trying to sleep and I don't think I got any sleep at all. Um, just knowing that I would have to drive the next morning, you know, three, we'd have to get out of camp. I thought, you know, some rest would be good. And I knew that one of the dads was staying awake. Um, I have a pretty even keel. Um, you know, I'm usually known in the, in the group as the calm one. Um, you know, Dave has joked if, if Jason's panicking, then there's a problem, but, uh, cause I, I kind of never lose it. Um, so, and I think that's just part of my nature and, um, kind of flexible and roll with things. But, um, I mean, yeah, as I mentioned, I always scope out a campsite you know, with the, the view of, you know, what happens if these trees come down, you know, where are they going to fall? Are there any dead ones? Do I need to avoid that? Um, sometimes I even look at like little corners of rocks, you know, sometimes will be a rock formation. I'll think, okay, I could hunker down there um, if it got really bad. Um, but, but I think going forward, I will be doing more of that. And I think we will establish a rally point, you know, Hey, if something happens in the middle of the night, everybody come here um, and here's why, and here's a couple of safe places to be. Um, if a storm hits and here's why, you know, uh, I walked around camp kind of assessing afterwards, looking where the trees went down and where they didn't. And it was kind of hard to find a spot that looked safe. I don't know. So it, um, you know, I will absolutely go back to the boundary waters many times. We're already, uh, Dave and I are already looking at maps and talking about a September trip. Um, I, I will do that again. Um, winter camping now seems much safer to me than summer camping. Uh, there aren't thunderstorms in February and March in the Boundary Waters. Um, you know, people think we're nuts for winter camping. Now I kind of think you're nuts for camping in July. So, uh, you know, no mosquitoes, less people, no thunderstorms. Hey. Mm -hmm. uh, Perfect so, scenario. But, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it does have an impact. And I'm just really happy. Like, um, you know, my son doesn't seem to be bothered by it as much. So it's not, you know, that's what you worry about, right? Are your kids going to go? Are they going to have a bad time? Are they going to be scared to go back? And he's he's ready to go again as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, I'll echo that too. My kids are, and they this isn't anybody's first time. So I'm not sure how that would have affected things, Matthew. I think there would have been, 
you know, most of everyone has been in two, three, four times at a minimum. Uh, my kids love it up there. But I, I agree. I, 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 um, I'm not as calm as Jason. I definitely had some uh, high-intensity emotions and awareness when it happened. Uh, of course, I immediately thought people were hurt. So I probably, I don't know if shock would be the right word, but I definitely, I, my body was shaking after the initial intensity of just, Jason actually put his hand on my back to calm me down a little bit by the boats because I was, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a shocking experience to me mainly because I got lifted off the ground from a tarp. Huh. Last thing I thought was going to happen. And then, of course, the tree snapped that the tarp was on. I was just worried about safety. But I, I knew we would get out of there, in a sense, once I found everybody was okay. Maybe that's a little cavalier at the point. But I think um, um, I definitely have a heightened sense of, you know, this, I can smell it still. I can hear it still. It's only been a little over a week. Obviously, we've talked about it. We went back to my cabin. The, you know, the nine of us had quite a bit of a debrief session. Uh, we're all going to write it down. We asked each other, like, whether you're 16 or 53, let's write this down for an, a page, and we can put it in a little journal and, you know, just to share experiences that maybe we're not, um, you know, telling each other, but th thoughts and memories you have, because everybody has their own, uh, you know, memory and, and sense, sensory of it all. Um, but no one's deterred. I think that's the real, I don't know if that's the real message of it all. I think you can never be too safe. I think, uh, you know, being smart in the bushes is, is we all should be, but I, th I thought we were, and we were, I think for the most part, but you can't control, you know, something like that. And it just seems that, um, you know, those, those storms, I mean, it's amazing up there what it takes to drop trees and they can drop you know, obviously the blowdown, I mean, they can drop, you know, it's not just one or two that drop, there's tons that can drop very, very quickly. And it doesn't need super force to do that. So, um, you know, the lessons learned are many, but I think that's part of the excitement, if that's the right word, part of the journey of being a Bounty Waters, um, uh, you know, person every year. Uh, I think, if you go 20 times, you're going to experience something. If you go 50 times, you're not going to have perfect weather and, and sunsets. You're going to experience, I think, at some point in your life, the more you go up there, uh, you know, something of this nature. Hopefully not, and hopefully everybody's safe, but you can never be too prepared. I think Jason's right. He does more campsite analysis than I used to. Uh, oh, this tent pad's been here for 20 years. Probably have thousands of years. Maybe the Voyagers used it. We're fine. But trees don't last that long. You know, you have to start to think a little bit about your safety and the safety of others. And Jason's taught me that value versus just, oh, we're going to catch a lot of fish, have fun, paddle, and listen to loons, and, which we're all going to do. But it can turn on you. And I think being prepared and smart is what keeps people safe and alive. Yes. But we, we, we definitely, in my mind, I looked death in the face in the weather. Um, you know, that's my conclusion. Um, and it was as close as I like to be. Yeah. And it, it's very obvious. Uh, it's, I mean, Dave, that you, on a certain level, like you, you were almost like the first responder in a sense, being, being so exposed in that um, experience of really getting hit 
it sounds like just from the story, the way you guys tell the story, getting hit by the, the brunt of that and taken off guard to the point where, you know, being lifted off the ground is really, it's never happened to me, but I imagine the power you felt kind of the ultimate component of the power and force that was delivered. But I, I mean, I think there's a combination of reality of we're out, it's vulnerable, um, and we're going to assess and, and take all that, inf- you know, our brains are powerful. Um, they take all that information in and synthesize it when we do it right to keep us safe for the next experience. So Jason, it sounds like your brain and, and your reaction is, is to synthesize all this and take it all in and create a new uh, format for analysis for safety moving forward. Yeah, I tried to, to learn from it. Um, yeah, like I said, I took a walk around camp and looked around and thought, okay, well, you know, when the wind was coming at me, I, my initial thought was, oh my God, here's a tornado. You know, I've always thought about this. What happens if I'm in the boundary waters and there's a tornado? What do you do? Um, looking back on it, walking around camp um, the next morning, seeing all the trees in the same direction, I think it was more straight line winds. And we actually kind of speculated the amount of water that hit us. We think it might've been picking water up off the lake and blasting us. So yeah, I mean, it was for me, um, you know, it's scary, but it's all, it was also exciting. And, um, you know, it's a learning experience. You, you, you learn from those things and try not to uh, repeat the same mistakes, but you know, also we just got lucky, you know, there's, there's some aspect of that. Um, had our tent been 10 feet to the right, the outcome would have been very different. Yeah. And I think that's the, this other component uh, that feels really important, which is the power of um, your mental status when the incident is over. And um, it sounds like you also had in with the younger members of your party, the benefit of sort of, um, I mean, I, I love going out with teens because they have the best attitude. And part of that is primarily they're not responsible for anybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so, so, you know, those of us, when I've guided or, you know, being a parent, you're, you feel, I think, an extra burden. And these, it sounds like the boys were really able to bring in that, ah, this is crazy, this is wow, awesome attitude, right. which is really, it's helpful to continue to plow forward and that energy of I'll stay up and we'll get through this and that camaraderie that you guys seem to have really demonstrated in the, in all the different personalities in your group um, really helped make this a memorable thing that it will keep you coming back versus a deterrent in the future. For sure. Um, Yeah. That's funny. You say that about teenagers. They don't have the responsibility because my thought is, Oh my God, if Dave's kids get hurt, his wife is going to kill me <laughs> or if my kids get it. So I've got that added. Oh yeah. no, you know, they're going to, they're going to be so mad that I made them go on this trip. Yeah. Exactly. I, I do think Matthew, you bring up a good point. I mean, I, I don't know if this is a factor or not, but you know, I've got relationships with one of the dads for over 30 years. All these boys have literally known each other. They're not, the perfect friends in a sense that they've like do everything together, but they've known each other since they've been three, four, five years old. So I think having, and we've all hung out together over the course of time. I do think there was some value, um, you know, because we all kind of know each other's personalities too, the kids and dads. I think there was some, that was helpful. 
I'm not saying if we had someone new in the group, it would have been bad. I just think it's more, it's just having, there's a comfort level in knowing how people were going to sort of react, even though it was somewhat unpredictable. Um, and I think there was uh, some comfort in that too, because everybody has known each other a long time and kind of knows their tendencies, good and bad. Um, that helped us kind of persevere and get through it. Cause it really, uh, you know, I think that was helpful. I mean, I mean, I've known Jason a long time. I know his tendency. He knows mine. He knows my weaknesses and my strengths uh, and, and can, you know, and, and everybody else in the group too. And I think there's some value in that. And I, and I think it helped um, having a party of people together that knew each other to the level that we did uh, because obviously situations are unpredictable. You're not quite sure how everybody's going to act, but I think we act in a coordinated effort and got everybody out there safe as well. Cause Round two could have been, I mean, more trees fell. I mean, there was, it was, we, we weren't out of the woods, so to speak. Yeah. Literally. And, um, um, you know, I will never forget that. I mean, I've never had a Brownie Waters trip get cut short. And, you know, I don't think you ever go into it thinking that could happen. I mean, I'll, I'll be naive enough to say that. Like, oh, I've been there a million times. I've had great luck with Jason Bush. I have more clear skies, more better weather, weather with him than anyone. He's kind of my good luck charm. Well, now we've gone through the complete opposite. It was bound to happen, but eventually luck's going to run out. And we, um, you know, if I don't see that for another 20 years, I'll be happy. But you need to be, you know, ready for it. And uh, I think that's my lesson learned is you can never be too cautious and you need to be able to adapt that your trip could change and it so, could change quickly. Just want to add real quick to, um, you know, getting close to wrapping it up. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Matthew, but um, at, when we finally got the boats bailed out the next day and um, packed up to leave, we, David mentioned there was two other groups camping on the lake that we knew of. Um, and we had seen one of them on an Island on our way in. So on the way out and, you know, we got out on the lake and looked around and I expected to see trees down everywhere. And it really was localized. It was really small to the peninsula where we were. Um, so I motored over to the, uh, other campsite and I saw, you know, two guys out making coffee. It was like 7am. Um, and said, Hey, how was your night? Uh, you know, what happened? And they said, Oh, that was crazy. Wasn't it? You know, and, you know, I said, do you guys have any trees down? And they said, no, the wind blew our tent away, blew our tarp, you know, down, knocked our stuff around, uh, but no trees down. And I said, wow, you should go check out our campsite. You know, if you're going to be, they were going to stay another day because their, their stuff had fared well. Um, they survived the night in better shape than we did. And uh, I just said, ah, you know, go check out our campsite when you, when you're out fishing and see what happened. It was insane. So it was really, really a small area. You know, we just, I, I was blown away. I thought there'd be trees down on the portage. I thought there'd be trees down everywhere, but there were not. It was just, you know, if we had picked a different campsite, we might've had a great long weekend, a completely different experience, but it was just that one spot happened to be um, the wrong place. And we were there, you know, a couple of hours before that storm hit and that's it. It was insane. Yeah. And that, I think that go, just proves that point that there are certain things you can't predict. There are certain things you, um, despite all of your planning that you're never gonna, um, be ready for anything. And coming back to this idea that I kind of want to wrap up with guys is, um, the thing that sounds most powerful for how you dealt with this uh, is a, is really the your ability to react, your ability to work together, uh, to the cohesion that you have and that you've built over the years. 
that's as powerful, if not more, than any piece of gear, than any device that you could bring in. Um, and I think that is part of why we go back. It's because there's few places where, not that we wish for those things, but there's few places where we get to experience that level of interdependence upon each other that you experienced out there to get through that situation. And I think that's I a real mean, testament. We'll, we'll never forget it, right? We'll, we'll have this story for years. We have pictures and, um, you know, like I said, I want to go back to that campsite and I want to see it. I want to stand there 30 years from now um, and look at that tree and say, I was here when that broke in half. Um, yeah. You know, it's, and, and as you mentioned, you know, everybody in our group, you know, contributed their own piece in different ways and um, helped keep us all safe and sane. And um, yeah, it, it was a, it was a great trip. It was shorter than I would have liked, but it was a great trip. I, I couldn't agree more, Matthew. I think you're right. I think I, I told both my boys, I said, when I'm not around anymore, I still want you to, you know, every now and then come visit this site on Trout Lake. I don't know how long that tree that snapped on the front of the rock's going to be there, but I mean, how many people in the world can say, I was here when that snapped. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hair. It's, it definitely, it was exhilarating. It was harrowing. It was, it was the emotions run everywhere. It was death defying. It was, um, it was insane. But to Jason's point, it was a good trip. I mean, as weird as it was. Um, but I think that interdependence that you mentioned is created. Everybody wants to go back and we will. And I think it's going to make us stronger. It's going to make my kids, our kids, much better campers and boundary waters. Um, explorers um and and I'm, I'm thankful for that that they're safe and able to take that knowledge and now you know bring it to their kids hopefully and say this is the things you need to do to be safe and happy and enjoy your trip well i really want to thank you david bell and jason bush for sharing this story with us um it obviously is a powerful one and i can say on behalf of of Joe and myself and our listeners, that there's a lot to take away from that. And uh, on behalf of the podcast, you guys are welcome back anytime. We'll be happy to have you and um, wish you well on your next trip. We thank you. We love your podcast and, and hopefully your listeners will take a few anecdotes from this. And, and we really thank you, Matthew, for having us as guests. We're honored. My but pleasure, thanks, guys. Thanks, Matthew. It's been great. Thanks. Wow, Matthew. Uh, as we said here at the top, just one of those stories that, you know, you, it got a lot of uh, immediate attention. We should we should say that there are, you know, David and, and Jason had this story covered in some of the largest media across the state of Minnesota. And it's one thing to to read about it, maybe a thousand word story in print, but to hear hear it, uh, you know, verbatim and, and feel some of that emotion uh, here on the podcast was this was a. Uh, yeah, this was amazing. I'm so first of all, I'm so glad everybody's safe. I mean, that sounds just like a such an intense experience, and we know that it can happen out there on on any trip too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just you know, I think there's a lot as they talked about in the interview. There's lessons to be learned. You know, there's always reasons to be as prepared as possible for whatever could happen going into the wilderness. You know, I personally think that anybody who can do any sort of 
uh, wilderness training, whether that's medical, wilderness EMT, wilderness uh, first responder, or um, be a part of any sort of um, search and rescue as a volunteer, you know, all those things just really um, lend to uh, being prepared out there and being able to respond well to um, situations that are unexpected. And I think these guys did a great job of sort of hashing out a situation that had a lot, um, a lot, a lot to think about. And I'm really grateful that they took the time to really give this story um, their full effort and attention. That was really, really great. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And uh, just to, it's not to scare anybody, but when I say, you know, this could happen on any trip, that this type of weather is a is a potential uh, reality of a, any trip to the Boundary Waters or Quetico or just canoe country up here. But but it is. So it's something that I think uh, hopefully people, you know, take some notes, remember some things or, or whatever you need to, you know, wherever you need to store that data that they shared with us. Uh, just, you know, be be aware of what, what can happen out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will, you know, Joe, I know I said I wasn't going to um, share too much from my recent trip into the Boundary Waters. But, yeah, uh, yes, I, you're, you're going there again to, you, you want to, let me guess, you caught a bunch of fish <laughs> or something, probably lake trout and walleye, you know, you couldn't uh, figure out which one you wanted to catch more of or something. Uh, well, I, I'm not even going to go into the fishing. <laughs> no. And I promise you, Joe, I never fish well when you're not with me. So <laughs> oh. don't worry about that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did want to, um, I wanted to first thank North Star Canoes for being one of our sponsors on the episode today. Mm-hmm. And it, as a way of expressing my gratitude for all the work they do uh, to create amazing, um, their amazing craftsmanship of the canoes that so many of us take into the wilderness. I got the opportunity to borrow an original bell, uh, Magic, nice. which for those who don't know, that was the you know the bell company it was the predecessor to North Star. Mm-hmm. Ted Bell, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this, uh, it's one of their uh, ultralight Kevlar's, but it's uh, the uh, carbon solo canoe yeah. with the wooden gunnels. And I had the honor of borrowing it from a dear friend who is now in his. Uh, maybe even getting into his 80s and okay. he has paddled this canoe a ton and to take it on this the trip that i went on recently and to paddle a canoe that's seen so many trips and really felt like paddling a brand new canoe for us you know as far as how it performed and uh the way that it just did everything it was supposed to do hmm. um it's amazing it's amazing that that what that company has done um over the years and just a big thanks to them for for what they do for our community yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, uh, that sounds like, uh, you know, we've, we've rounded out the episode. It also gives uh, me and hopefully our listeners, too, something to look forward to, uh, to hear more about your adventures and on some of these recent canoe trips. I'm really glad you were able to get out. Uh, I know you've been uh, busy over the summer with some housing projects. So, you, we, you know, even living up here, Matthew, we still sometimes have to, to find those uh, trips. And, and it's an important part of our life uh, up here. But, you know, just like our, our listeners, wherever you are and, Madison, Chicago, the Twin Cities. You know, Matthew and I have to to work to get out there sometimes too. So we're we're all, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, it's just been a, a busy summer in the Boundary Waters, and now we're transitioning into more of the fall season here. It's going to be September, rolling into you know October, where we've gone out last year to Winchell and Gaskin, and uh, kind of we, we've got some things up our sleeve here on the podcast. Some of our next episodes, I think, uh, 
stay tuned, I guess is all I'll say. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to blow anything, but I'm <laughs> excited for the momentum that we've had. I'm excited for the, especially the, the sort of the feedback from our listeners and the interactions we've been able to have throughout this summer as such a chaotic uh, season was upon us and to be able to be a part of not just the storytelling, but sort of the, the, the <laughs> up to minute information gathering that we ended up having to do just to get this season underway. Um, has been, it's been a different, a season like no other. And, um, I've just been grateful for the way that everybody has chosen to, um, dive into it with an open mind. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Well, uh, we've got a lot to look forward to and, and uh, hopefully everybody that's listening today is uh, feeling pretty good about the transition of the seasons here as we look uh, forward to September and the fall months uh, ahead here in the Boundary Waters. And Matthew, uh, I think I'm uh, gonna gonna wind down this phone conversation, and I'm headed over to your place, dude. I want the details tonight, right now, of your trips. I'm tired of having to question you over and over again. This is getting out of hand. I'm tired of it. <laughs> All right, Joe, uh, I'll, I'll give you a nugget. <laughs> Get over here. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. I paddle canoe, feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar. Oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams. You can roll me, rock me in my dreams. So I like to sing, I love to dance, I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around, all around the campfire light 